it sounded so demonic. Oh, that was creepy. Hey, it's Emma. And this is Mag. And this is the You Don't Wanna Know. You Don't Wanna Know podcast. Oh my gosh, it's gonna get better. We're gonna get better at that. Okay, I think it'll be okay if I just set it right here. Eventually. Eventually. Okay. All right, you ready for this insane case? Because I'm I'm so excited to talk about this. Like, I feel really weird saying that, that I'm excited to talk about this case because it's messed up. But it's, like, insane. It's really crazy. So, fun fact about this episode, re-listening to it, I realized that there's, like, five blank spots in there. So, I'm going to do my best to fill it in with exactly what I said before. But I don't remember exactly what I said. So, this will be fun stick around so you're ready right, I'm ready I'm gonna go down another step <laughs> okay I'm gonna eat my bagel a little more that's cool that's cool gotta get those carbs in you know energy <laughs> energy personality most important most important okay okay sure hopefully my phone won't go off all right So, the case today is the Lindbergh baby murder. So, it's really sad. It's about a baby, 20 months old. Very, very sad. It was in the 1930s. Very, very sad, yeah. So, that's why I'm like, oh, why am I so excited to talk about this? (laughs) So, it was 1932. Charles or Charlie, baby. Oh, well, no, it's okay. So I'll talk about the dad first. So the dad was Charlie Lindbergh. Do you recognize that name at all? Charles Lindbergh was the first man to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. So he flied from Paris or New York to Paris. So that's pretty crazy. I think. Yeah. All by himself. All by himself. Yeah. So the crazy part is that these two other men before him tried to do it and they failed. And he looked at that and he was like, you know what? Two guys may couldn't do it. Maybe that's the problem. I'm just going to do it alone. He's like, watch this. <laughs> and then he goes and he's like, accomplishes everything. He's like, hold my beer, watch this. Um, <laughs> so his father was a Minnesota congressman. Um, he went to Madison, Wisconsin. What up? Uh, for two years. <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, so for two years, and then I heard you swallow. <laughs> so he went, he went to um, college in Madison for two years, um, but then he realized, like, he just had a huge passion for flying, so he went to Nebraska's flight school. So the the fun fact that I just told you is a little bit later on. But as a kid, he even wanted to fly. Like, he had just this huge passion for it. So once he finished flight school, he was a uh, airmail pilot and a stunt pilot. Um, he became well known. He became so well known for flying that businessmen actually recruited him uh, to make that transatlantic uh, flight, and uh, he like won a bunch of money for it. He either made a plane. I think he made the plane that he used to fly over it. I think, excuse me, either the fuel tank, I think the fuel tank was in the front versus in the back. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I don't know much about flying or planes or anything like that. I just know how to get on a plane and fly to Florida, basically. 
basics. Yeah, basically. Gotta unthaw in the wintertime sometimes. So he won a bunch of money from that, and he became super well-known. Eventually, he met his wife, Anne Morrow, in Mexico. Her dad was, like, a representative there or something, but she wasn't actually Spanish, so that was a little weird. And I didn't find a lot of sources that said this. I just found a couple, so take this with a grain of salt. But it said that he went to Mexico to actually meet Anne's older sister. Um, but when he went there, she wasn't oh, there. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's a little gossip. Um, but he I'm went... A little... It's very fun. Um, so he went to... Uh, Mexico to meet Anne's sister, but she was actually away taking care of her older brother. So he met Anne, and he, like, fell in love with Anne, so she was always, like, a little salty about that. But eventually... Uh, jealousy. Yeah, basically. Eventually, um, Anne became his co-pilot and navigator, and she learned how to fly, too, obviously, co-pilot. Um, and they got married! Aww! It cue the Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I wish. Not. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the story goes on. So, he did a lot of things. He uh, eventually became a technical advisor for the Transcontinental and Pan Am. So, those are still alive and well today. He made a bunch of different routes for them that they still use today. Like flying routes in the sky, you know. Pretty cool. And in between his flights, when he was just chilling, you know, hanging with the wife, he won a Nobel freaking prize. Like, what does this guy not do? Um, yeah, the Nobel Prize was for this, um, I don't know what it was called, but it's like science leading towards um, keeping organs alive outside of the body so it was really good for like transplants and stuff like that it's not used today but the science helped lead closer to stuff like that so cool oh dang dang that's pretty cool yeah so like what doesn't this guy do he was like man of the year during this time too he was the youngest one to win it so it was like man of the year something like that on life magazine i think it was called so like he was famous. Everyone knew his name. His name was uh, Charles Lindenberg. Like, everyone knew him. Everyone saw him and knew him. He was just super duper famous. Like, crazy, crazy famous. So, this was like a huge case when it happened. Charles had a baby. They named him after him. So, Charles, the navigator, his dad was also named Charles. So, technically, it was Charles II, but he went by uh, Charles Jr. And then his baby... They also named Charles Lindenberg, Lindbergh. I, I, oh, I keep saying Lindenberg, but it's Lindbergh. I'm going to do that. I'm so sorry. I'm trying. I'm, oh, it's so annoying. Okay. So he had a baby. Take it slow. Take it slow. Yeah, I am kind of talking fast, aren't I? Okay. So he had a baby. Really, really cute baby. Blonde hair, just curly blonde hair, adorable. You can actually see videos and pictures of him if you want to Google him. His name was Charles Jr., um, but they called him Charlie. Very, very cute little baby. So, sad part comes up. On March 1st, 1932, Charles Jr. was not in his nursery on the second floor. Um, the, wet, the nurse um, went in around 10 o'clock 
and she found that he wasn't there. So she notified the family and I'm sorry, I keep feeling a bump on my foot. So it's freaking me out, but I think it's my bone. So I think we're okay. (laughs) Um, so he told his parents, the nurse's name was Betty Gao and they searched the uh, house and found the ransom note, uh, for, uh, the, the kidnapping. So, yeah, so this is going to be a little hard to read just because, um, it's not well grammar. Um, I found a little thing that like translates everything. I think it's in English, it's in English, but there are spelling mistakes and I think stuff is flipped around. So, um, bear with me. So it says, dear sir, have $50,000 ready, $2,500 in 20 bills. Wait, $1,500 in $10 bills and $10,000 in $5 bills. After two to four days, we will inform you to deliver them where to deliver the money. We warn you for making any public or for the police, the child is in good care. (laughs) Indication for all letters are signed with three holes. And so it's like two blue holes. So like a Venn diagram, two blue holes overlapping each other and then a red hole kind of off not in the center but off to the side and then like a hole punch it's just it's just so they know like that's the real one but um a couple weird things to note is that um instead of having the dollar sign in the beginning of the number they have it at the end so it's like a two zero dollar sign instead of dollar sign two zero they misspelled ready they didn't put an a in ready they spelled money wrong. They didn't have an E in the money. And uh, they spelled good, G-U-T, which is a German way to spell it. Like Gutentag, you know? Gut. So, obviously, I'm going to take a sippy sip. Well, obviously, it wasn't proficient in English or in literacy at all. Yeah. To be able to, you know, make all those mistakes. Do you have your phone on you? Do you want to just look up Google um, Lindbergh baby ransom note and just look at the writing and tell me what you think about it? If you just do it like an image search, you should see it pop up. You're going into this without like having any knowledge other than what I've told you so far. So so you're looking at it with fresh eyes. Tell me what you think about the handwriting. Well... Almost looks like a children's handwriting, mm-hmm. or just like a really elderly person's handwriting. Okay, I didn't think about it that way. That's good to good note. Um, either or, because they don't have good handling. Yeah, it's just not put together very well. It's not handled well. I don't know. It's messy and not put together. Maybe rushed. When I looked at it, I kind of thought it was forced to be like really shaky and sloppy you know like it almost seems like they're trying to make a mistake like they're hiding their handwriting I don't think that that's their actual handwriting and they spelled ready which like I can see someone not knowing the uh, English language hi uh, keeping those letters out but it just seems so forced like they're trying like okay how can we make it seem like it's a foreign language we can put G-U-T in there for German good and then we can keep the A and the E out of these like it just seems so weird and then let me see if I can find it Mm -hmm. 
but they spell spelled like deliver right or signature they spelled signature right and that's a pretty big word so i don't know and they, but they spelled ready and money wrong and oh one thing oh, I they, they spelled police uh-huh. with a s, s instead of a c and they spelled anything a n y d i n g any anything so i don't know it just seems like forced it's so odd. it yeah, seems forced like it made to look that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so Charles got all the money ready. Uh, the ransom note was in the window sill. So they got the money ready, and they did call the cops almost right away, even though the ransom note said not to. Um, and they had everyone searching the house. They had a lot of people come in. So basically, they screwed the whole crime scene up. They found a ladder. Wow. They found a ladder in a service road in the ditch, and they figured that's what they used to get into the second story window. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> um, the ladder, and they also found next to the window to the right, there was like little scuff marks on it, so they figured that's how they got there was the ladder to the side. Um, and that's probably how they didn't see people coming up is because they didn't put the ladder in front of the window because it was like a house where there was a window directly below that window. So if you put the ladder like right there, you would have seen it. But that's a little hard to shimmy into the window when it's to the right instead of directly below it. So if you're carrying a baby, it might be hard to get out that window. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So they found muddy footprints in the nursery and it looked like there were multiple. But what they could tell was that there was, like, a cloth on their shoes, so you can't see the actual, like, print of the shoe. You can just tell that that's someone's foot there, you know? Oh, wow, really? That was premeditated, for sure. Oh, heck yeah. It has to be. They wrote those ransom notes. So, um, the police came, they looked everywhere, they completely ruined it, so they couldn't identify how many footprints there were. Um, they just found those muddy footprints in there, so, um, they just knew that someone was in there, and they didn't find any fingerprints. Any at all. Any at all. they were wearing gloves. Yeah, exactly. Which, um, might, I would just keep that in your head. They didn't find any fingerprints, which obviously they did find fingerprints for the people in the house, you know? So, um, but they didn't find any new fingerprints. It, it's not, that's not stated anywhere. It just says that they didn't find any fingerprints, but it's something like, I assume like, okay, they had to have found some fingerprints of like the nurse, the mom, the dad, the butler. Um, so the ladder, a lot of people say that the ladder was broken in half. It wasn't. The ladder was a very unique crafted one. So, um, it was three parts and one of the parts was like split. Like, you know how the ladder has the leg? And that, the part of the wood was split on the side of the leg, not the little, like, steps you go up. Yeah, so I think it was the bottom one that was split. And then, um, so it was separated into three parts, so you could, like, bring it down to carry it, you know? So it had, it had little pegs on, um, the third of the way up and then another third, so you can take it out. And the middle section was slimmer than the bottom, so it could slide into it. And then the top section was even more slim, so it could slide down into it, too. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, 
it was obviously handcrafted and like done really well by someone who knows what they're doing because that's kind of hard to do. So they knew it couldn't have been bought anywhere or it wouldn't be like a store bought. It was somewhat like an actual carpenter made that. I know someone made it. Yeah. Um... Whether it be a carpenter or someone who bought it personally from a carpenter. There was no blood uh, anywhere. Um, and like I said, a lot of people came into the scene, so they just completely botched that. Um, everything was ruined. They didn't find anything. That happens way too often where the FBI or the police let people come in and they're not supposed to be there and they just end up contaminating all the evidence. Well, that's the thing. The most popular true crime cases are the ones that this happens in. Because you don't hear about the cases that everything goes perfectly right. You know, you only hear about the ones where everything goes wrong. Um, Charles uh, went through a lot of hoops to talk to the negotiators or the criminals, the kidnappers, because they were just really hard to get to. And this one guy, John, Dr. John Condon, he placed an ad in the newspaper saying, hey, I will give you a thousand dollars of my own money. I will be the middleman who speaks to the kidnapper and speaks to, um, Lindenberg. Lindbergh. Oh my gosh. Wow. Lindbergh. I can do this. Lindbergh. Yeah. So he was giving up his own money on top of all the money that's in the ransom note. Oh wow. So that's a little wow. that's a little weird to me that he would do that. Yeah. Uh but they they uh wrote to each other in the newspaper. So uh they would use like little ads and uh I'm just kinda gonna call him doctor because John Condon is kind of like annoying. Um so the doctor <laughs> He made up a new a name uh, that he would go by in the newspaper ads so the kidnapper would know it's him. Charles got another ransom note, uh, and they said that they wanted $70,000 now. And I think I have that ransom note I can read. Yeah. Dear sir, we have warned you note slash not to make anything public. Also notify the police. This time he spelled police right. Now you have to take consequences. Means we will have to hold the baby until everything is quiet. We can note, not make an appointment just now, or we know very well what it means to us. It is, is it, is what they meant to say, really necessary to make the world of world affair out of this. I don't know what he means by that. Or to get your baby back as soon as possible to settle those affairs in a quick way. We will, we will be better for both. Sorry, this is really hard to read because it's so bad. No, it's okay. Um... Keeping care of us day and night, we also feed him according to the diet. We are interested to send him back into in good health. He said good instead of good again. And ransom was made for us, AUS, um, for $50,000. But now we have to take another person to it and probably have to keep the baby for a longer time as we expected. So the amount will be $70,000. And then he explains the different wow. the different bills. So I'm assuming he means I had to bring a nanny into it because we have to keep it longer. Um, don't mark any bills or take them from one serial number. We will form you later. Ladder is what he said. Uh, we're to deliver the money, but we will note do so until the police are is out of this case and the papers are coot. The kidnapping was prepared in years, so we are prepared for er everything. 
So that one, oh, I almost dropped my phone again. Oh, I almost, super like. Yeah, and it was weird. It was weird because some things that were misspelled in the first one were correct in the last one. So that's kind of interesting that they did it that way. Um, that's not always interesting because they either have an alternative motive behind, I mean, they always have an alternative motive, but they, you know, want to add an extra part of the adventure in the ransom note or they just do it unintentionally. Exactly. So, like I said, they spelled police with an S in the first ransom note, but this time they had police in there twice and both times they spelled it right. They talked about, they referred to uh, the sentence means we will have the baby until everything is quiet. They spelled it right that time. That was the beginning of the note. But at the end of the note, they said police, uh, until the police is out of the case and they spelled it with C-A-C-E and the papers are Q-U-T-E instead of Q-U-I-T, quiet. Oh, no, that's not how you spell quiet. Well, I'm an idiot. Q-U-I-E-T. So they spelled it wrong still, but they spelled it two different ways. So that's very weird to me. Yeah, you wonder if that was intentional or not, honestly. Yeah, it's very, very odd. I just feel like it's so forced, and the handwriting's the same. So that was the, um, that was the second one. So now it's up to $70,000. So on March 8th, uh, Charles's attorney received another ransom note. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, Like, they obviously have prepared all this stuff ahead of time because of how many ransom notes there are. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Or maybe they're just panicking because the police got everything out. They're like, what's the best way to do this? Okay, write this down, write this down. Oh, that's not going to work. Write this down, write this down, you know? They're just trying to figure out what to do. Who knows what was going through their head, honestly. I mean, I wish we could know, but, like, yeah. I'm only just assume. And it's insane, too, because, like, they stole a baby, so they're crazy. Straight up crazy. They did. They did. Okay, so this one says, Dear sir, you re- uh, did you receive our, spelled wrong, letter from March 4th? We sent the mail on off the letter near Borough Hall, Brooklyn, we know police interfere with your private mail, private spelled wrong. How can we come to any agreement this way? In the future, we will send the letter to Mr. Breckenbridge at 25th Broadway. We believe police, police is spelled with an S again, captured two letters. Wow. Yeah. Captured two letters and let not forward to you. We will not accept any go between from your scent. We will arrange these letters. There is no worry about the boy. He is very well and we will be feeding him to the diet. Best, best dank. (laughs) I think thank. Uh, Best thank for information about it. So I don't know. I think it's thank or tank. tank, I don't know. Um, We are interested to send your boy back in good health. Good health. It is necessary to make a world affair out of it. Or to get your boy back as soon as possible. So I think he's trying to say, like, is it necessary to, like, blow it up in the media or just to get your boy back soon? Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, then he just wants to get his money and have it over with. Exactly. Yeah. Why did you ignore our letter, which we left in the baby room? Would you be back long ago? 
you would not get any result from police because our kidnapping was planned for a year already, and he spelled already a different way. But we were afraid the boy would not be strong enough. Our ransom was made out to $50,000, but now we put another to it as probably have to hold the baby longer as we expected. So it will be $70,000, and then he explains the bills again. We warned you against not... So he's saying, uh, don't mark the bills, don't... uh, make a serial number, like, whatever. So that was the third ransom note. They're being pretty thorough, to be quite honest. I mean, they said that they've been planning it for a year, so obviously... Yeah, or they're just saying that to scare them even more, just to comply, you know? So no one really knows what they're thinking. Yeah, I think of it from so many different angles. (laughs) The trouble I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They said that they didn't accept the middleman, the the go-between is what they said in the letter, that Charles had appointed. So this is when Dr. Condon, Dr. John Condon comes into the picture. He was a school principal, he was retired. He placed an ad in the newspaper saying basically, I will give you a thousand dollars if you let me be the go-between who does everything and talks to everybody for the kidnapper. And the kidnappers said, no thank you. No, they said yes, they'll do it. That was- Oh, they did. So he, had no prior um, relationship with uh, Charles. He was just a really big fan of Charles. So he was like, I'll help. And who knows what his intentions really were, if he actually wanted to help or if he just wanted to, like, meet Charles and, like, be famous for something, you know? Dr. Condon was a retired school principal. Like I said, he received a phone call on March 12th telling him that they accept the um, him being the person, the go-between, and where the fifth ransom note is. Um, it was delivered by a taxi driver, which... What? Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like That is so weird. No, that's really odd. They got his name. It was Joseph, I think it's Peroni. Um, he had nothing to do with it, supposedly. Who knows if he did or not. But, I, like, I feel like if I was that person, I'd be like, no, I'm not taking your note. You deliver it yourself. Like, get in my cab and give it to him. Give me money. I'm not doing this for you, you know? It just seems really weird to me. Or maybe he was like, hey, here's 50 bucks. Go deliver this. I guess I guess if someone said that. And if it's just a letter, it'd be different. If it was like a box, I'd be like, you're not putting that in my vehicle. Because it could be a bomb. So that's why. That's true. Yeah. So it was just a letter. So who knows? So the note said that there was another note. So that note. So there was another note. Basically telling him where to go to get to the note. And it was at a vacant stand under a stone and it said the next note said that uh, he was going to be meeting with a stranger in a cemetery so I'm probably not going to read any more of the the letters because it's going to take me like 30 minutes just because there's so many so I'm just going to summarize it you can find them on the internet like every single one of them you can even find pictures of them if you wanted to look at them but it basically said hey we want to meet up. Let's chill. Let's have a good time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it said that they wanted to meet in a cemetery. He said to come alone, um, not to bring police in. So this whole time while this is happening, the dad, Charles, is taking over the whole investigation, which seems really weird because he's just a pilot. It's not like he's an Air Force pilot or in the Navy or in the Army, the military or anything like that. He's just yeah, like do their job though. Exactly. So the only reason I would think 
that he would do that is because the ransom note said not to involve police and it's like his way to go around that maybe or um he's just a concerned father and wants to do it and he has he's a celebrity so the police are like oh yeah go ahead do whatever you want which is a terrible idea he doesn't know what he's doing that is a terrible idea yeah but uh that's basically what he's doing right now and because of that a lot of things get screwed up and a lot of people say today like that was the dumbest thing he could have done and like he just probably let his emotions get to him a lot just because it's his baby so I get it. Well, they don't even let, and they don't even let, like, police officers or anyone, detectives or anything, if it's a family matter, they don't let them get involved at all, whether it's your friend or immediate family member or something, because they know the emotions that are going to go into it. So exactly. he should have known. Like, that, that definitely wasn't smart, but obviously he was just wanting to find answers. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. That's just, it was stupid. Just like case in point, no matter how you look at it, it was stupid. I get it. I would want to do anything I could to help, but dumb idea. So he met up, Dr. Condon met up in the cemetery and he didn't find anyone at first, but um, he saw someone in the shadows and they had like a white handkerchief and handkerchief and they were waving it around and he walked over to it and he introduced himself as John. And he was like, hey, what's up, homie? I'm John. How you doing? Um, and he, <laughs> he basically said, I have, I have the baby. Like the note said, I am taking care of the baby, but I want my ransom money. I will tell you where we're going to meet up, where you can leave the money. And I will bring proof that I have the baby at the next meetup. Dr. Condon wasn't an idiot, luckily. He brought a, a bodyguard but he didn't let him come into the cemetery. So he was like basically listening, not really listening, but he was in the background um, just in case like he heard him scream, he would come, you know? Oh, that was smart. At some point, the kidnapper asks, if the package is dead, will I burn? So if the baby's dead, do I die? Yeah. Yes. So that's really, really weird that he would say that. Um... But uh, John continued to put ads in the paper to communicate with the kidnappers. Um, and they settled on a ransom because um, $70,000, which is ridiculous. They brought the baby's sleeping suit, which is like his pajamas, to the dad just to prove that he was still, like they were the actual kidnappers and they weren't trying to like BS him, you know? So that was just a way to um, prove that, like, they have them. So Mar yeah. March 16th, there was another note found, and it said, I didn't write it down. I don't know why I didn't write it down. I just oh. said, the, the ransom note said, we'll never know. No, <laughs> We're never going to know. The world will never know. Oh, okay. So the seventh note basically said, hey, there's an eighth note. This is where you're going to find it. Um. So, on March 21st, they got a note, the, they found the note, um, it was the eighth note, and it said, um, complete compliance is needed, and they've been planning this kidnapping for a year, like they said. <laughs> they've been planning, planning the kidnapping for over a year. Yeah, but get this, Emma, the baby's 20 months old. Isn't that so messed up? They heard that this guy had a baby, and they were like, 
I'm stealing it. Who does that? When, when I see someone posting about a baby, like, I'm going to have a baby. I just had a baby. I'm like, oh, it's so cute. That's so exciting. Not, hmm, I'm going to make some money right now. Like, yeah, but then you have to think about it. Like, sick and twisted. Who had, who had something against them or who had, who was mad at them or who, you know, like, wanted to get back at them to steal their baby. Like, you have to think about it as a clue. And, like, he's famous, so he probably has so many enemies. So it's it's going to be so hard to narrow it down. Like, if he just didn't say hi to someone or if he stopped shaking people's hands at that person's turn, like, that could be enough to hate someone, you know? Yeah, because yeah, people are just crazy. So the, the basically the eighth ransom note was another ran, rambling saying, like, stop involving police. We need to get this quiet. I'll give you back your baby then. So on March 29th, Betty Gao, remember, that was the baby's nurse. She found the thumb guard, which is basically so the baby doesn't suck his thumb. That was in or near the entrance of the house. So that um, on March 30th, the ninth ransom note was found. And then guess what they did? They increased the ransom to 10,000 or excuse me, a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars. On April 9th. The 10th ransom note was found, which this is getting ridiculous. 10 ransom notes is ridiculous. And you would think, like, by now, they might have a lead or something. Like, they have 10 freaking notes. Like, come on. That is so weird. Yeah, at that point. Um, and just give the kid back already. He has the money. Yeah, so just give the kid back. Exactly. So the 10th ransom note said that um, they should have the money ready and they would be meeting up the next night. The doctor responded in the newspaper, as always. On the 2nd, April 2nd, the doctor got the 11th ransom note, um, and he was delivered by a taxi driver again. And it was an unknown man. Mm -hmm. I think one source said that it was the same driver, which would be really suspicious, but I don't think it was. Um, Okay, so the taxi driver gave him the note, and it said where to find the 12th note. So we're up to 12 notes at this point. Um, keep in mind, that was March 1st that this baby was kidnapped. We're at March 2nd, or, or excuse me, April 2nd. So it's been a month. Wow, it's been a month already. Yeah, like those poor parents are probably just like ripping their hair out. They probably haven't slept at all. They probably, the only way they sleep is when they pass out from exhaustion. Like just absolutely so sad. That is so sad, so sad. So the 12th ransom note, they found it in front of a greenhouse under a rock, and it said that they were going to meet with John again, Cemetery John. He met up, and the doctor uh, got them to reduce the ransom note to the original price, which was $50,000, because he gave them, like, what was it, two days, one day, to get all that money together? That's impossible, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, he gave him the ransom money, and John gave him the 13th ransom note. And the the note said where to find the baby. And, like he said, it was on a boat. So, the ransom note said it was on a boat named Nellie. Which is funny, because that's one of my friend's nicknames. Uh, her mom calls yeah. her Nellie, so it's really cute. But this is really sad, so. <laughs> um... <laughs> They, uh, the next day, they went to where the boat was supposed to be, and the dad, Charles, did the search. He, like, let it, 
and they searched all the boats. I don't even think they found one named Denali, but they searched every single boat and they didn't find anything. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, they searched multiple times. It was just chaos. They did not find anything. Oh my god. So that was um, April 2nd was when... So they don't have a timeline exactly when this happened, but it has to be like before April 5th, basically. So this is really hard. Um, May 12th. So that's um, two months, a little bit more than two months after the baby was stolen. The baby was found partly buried and decomposed four and a half miles from the house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was found by a truck driver, uh, William Allen. He went to the bathroom in the woods. He pulled off the highway and just was lucky enough to stumble on the baby. So it was only four and a half miles away in the woods. So, like, it's crazy that they found him, you know. The head was, there was a crack on the skull, on the right side of the skull. And so this is the tricky part. A police officer says that he poked the baby's head with a stick and it left a hole um, behind the left ear. A little tiny hole. I don't know how big it was, um, but he said he poked it with a stick. Now, I'm going to tell you something. My brothers have poked me with sticks my whole life, and I've never had a hole punctured through my skin with a stick. A knife? A arrow? Yes. It's never happened to me. I would. It makes sense, though. But a stick? And it's not like the baby was gone for like two years or whatever the baby was gone for two months dead for or um i'll just say say this right now they the um coroner uh said that he was dead almost immediately after he was taken so they were just like pulling him around basically but so even after two months though the baby isn't the like bones and everything like that that's not going to be enough to poke a hole through the baby's head and it, it went through the bone, too. So you can't break bone with a stick. That makes no sense. And the hole was... I wonder... The hole was, like, a quarter size. So the stick had to be really small, so it's not going to be a strong stick. That doesn't make any sense, you know? So weird. That's really weird. I, yeah, I don't... I mean, do they have any explanation for it at all? Like I said, the police just said he poked his head with a stick. So that's sus to me. That's suspect, you know? doesn't make any sense. So their thought behind that was that when the ladder, they said the ladder cracked, I did further digging, or the ladder broke, I did further digging, and it said that the ladder just cracked, and I think maybe that crack startled the kidnapper, and the kidnapper dropped the baby. So that's what they said, and that's why he had a crack. But that doesn't explain the hole, though. Well, maybe it was dropped on a stick that was standing up. Who knows? No real explanation. Like, that doesn't cover the hole in the head. Unless somehow he was dropped onto something specific, you know? Plus, the crack was on the right side, but the hole was on the left side. So that doesn't add up. You know? There's so many, yeah. And like I said, they'll never know, like, what actually happened. But it's just so, like, intriguing to know. Like, I want to know the dogs behind the door (sighs) um so while all this is happening the fbi is getting involved it's actually just the uh 
Bureau of Investigation. It's not even the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And so many people are getting involved in this. It's getting so much attention. And even, like, mobsters are getting involved. You know Al Capone? Oh, my gosh, yes. He was involved in it, too. He offered to... He offered to help in prison because he was in prison at this point. Um, But he wanted, like, a reward for helping, you know? And... Uh, the father actually got speakeasy owners to be the middleman for the mob to help, like, talk things through because they think it was uh, a mob member that stole the baby. All right. The New Jersey State Police Department offered $25,000 for a reward for any additional information on May 26th. And they started questioning people um, in the house, which is, like, one of the first things you do. So um, the Lindberghs were actually staying at their parents' house, too, um, because the house that the baby was stolen in was a new house. They usually only stayed on weekends, but they were there that Tuesday because Charlie, the baby, had a cold and they didn't want to move him. So they they interviewed the whole house staff and this one lady, Violet Sharp, she raised some eyebrows. She didn't have a good story. She kept, like, changing things about it, you know? Um, she was a maid at the grandma's house, though. So the Anne Morrow's mom, that's where she worked at. Shortly after she was questioned, she was questioned twice, her story kept changing, she killed herself with cyanide pills. Oh, my gosh. After questioning? Yeah, twice. The weird thing, though, is that her story was confirmed her whereabouts for that night was confirmed she did not she could not have taken the baby oh my gosh so yeah. odd that she killed herself so what is the explanation for that they said that i think she may have cheated on her fiance but that's very weird timing in my opinion yeah that's really odd yeah So in September, President Roosevelt, he was a part of this too. He had requested an investigation uh, to be centralized in the FBI um, because it was originally with the International Service of Revenue Service. That's the IRS. So um, the president had everything just go to the FBI because it makes sense. The International Revenue Service, the IRS, they're dealing with the money. So that kind of makes sense if you were wondering why it would be there. But they got everything to the FBI. And on January 17th, so it's... Hey, that's my birthday. Hey, yo. What up? Um, So I didn't mention this, but they put all the ransom money in gold backing bills. So back then, like, self-explanatory, it's backed by gold. And, like, there was silver backing, too. Um, Yeah. They, uh, they kind of did that as a way to like track the money in case it ever got returned the president had uh put out like this thing saying you have to return it they're not going to use that anymore so it's going to be um like it's not going to be useful very soon oh god yeah so the president of the united states is helping in this case so it's getting crazy so that's how big it became after just two months of well that it was more so that was March. Uh, Roosevelt kind of got more involved in September. He was always a little bit involved, but that um, letter came out in January. 
and they sent out a letter to all the banks in the area, even like grocery stores and gas stations. They sent out the serial number to pay attention to in case they got that money. They really wanted to catch these people. Yeah. Um, so they sent those letters with the numbers out to check all the, the gold backing cert- certificates to see if they could find the match to it. And unfortunately, like all famous cases, false info came pouring in. And of course, this I got all my inf- almost all my information from the FBI website, which I didn't even know I could do. It was crazy. Oh, really? It was no, FBI.gov. That's, that's cool. <laughs> it was wild. That's so cool. Um, yeah, so they said that they looked into every single, um, lead that they got, which sounds exhausting, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but that just sounds awful because like I said, they're famous. Huh? Oh yeah. It sounds exhausting. But... I just can't imagine it because Charles Lindbergh, famous pilot, everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, I saw it. I want to help. I want to be famous too. So the biggest one was Evelyn Wash McLean. She uh, met up with this con man, Gaston, which like anyone named Gaston in my book, not a good person because of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Um. But his name is Gaston B. Means. So, like, even his last name just means no good. Um, He helped her husband before. So she's like, oh, maybe he knows something. Which, like, that's like assuming everyone who's Irish knows every other Irish person. You know? Like, like um, in a Modern Family, Cam, he's one of the gay dads of Lily. Uh, he went to a bridge like game and one of the old ladies is like, I have a nephew who's gay. Do you know him? And it's like, okay, every gay guy knows everyone. Like, just ridiculous. Gaston convinced McLean, the lady, he's friends with the people that did it, and he could convince his friends with $100,000, he could get the baby back. So McLean, somehow, some reason, believed him and gave him the money. And after... Uh, waiting for a really long time because he just kept saying like, oh, it's almost there. Oh, it's almost there. Oh, it's almost there. She got fed up and was like, give me my money back. Um, And he didn't. So uh, McLean talked to the police and he and this other guy who was like helping him somehow with this con, Norman T. Walker, he uh, was an attorney before, but he got disembarred, which is basically like when they take your license away. They went to jail for embezzling wow. for 15 years. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Probably not the guy to trust. Yeah. So, while all this is happening, they're looking at all these boats named Nellie because they're, like, holding on every last hope, trying to figure out what's going on. But everything just came up dead. They even looked into this purple gang of Detroit because, for some reason, they thought that they could have something to do with it. But on May 2nd of 1933... Ten, a $10 note and a $20 note was uh, found from the ransom money, and it was turned in. Oh, wow. And even though they had the name and address of, it was TJ Faulkner, no one was ever found. They didn't find who it was. And it was said to have matched the note and the handwriting of the ransom note, 
Mm-hmm. Really? Oh my didn't, gosh, no way. Didn't find anyone for it. So interesting. And they like never pursued it. Wow. So while this is all happening, um, for some reason they finally decide, hey, maybe we should write a transcript of the night that um, the doctor met up with that Cemetery John. After, this is like six freaking months. So that's stupid. Oh my gosh. They, stupid. yeah. Like, that just blows my mind. Um, so they made a sketch, like a, a draw up of what he could remember. And they uh, did the transcript to the best of his memory of that night. And if you ask me, I kind of feel like the, tr- the sketch is just like a very basic looking man. Like it could look like almost any man. All sketches are like that. They just kind of are very basic. Yeah. It was very disappointing. Um, and uh, another thing that happened was they got a wood expert, which I didn't even know was a thing. To look at the ladder. His name was. Well, they want to look at all every angle. Yeah, they're running out of ideas, basically. Um, his name was Arthur Kohler, and he was um, uh, he was in the Forest Service, and he was the wood expert. And he took apart the ladder completely. He looked at like every single inch. He saw like all the markings from the tools and everything like that. So he knew it in his head by heart. He, like, did a really thorough job looking at it. Um, so from May, so nothing really happened after September was, like, the last day something had happened all the way up until May. Um, and between May and August, um, no money was returned. But on August 20th to September, um, they had received ransom money, like, money from that ransom from oh my gosh. Harlem and Yorkville, but they didn't, and the FBI tried tracking it, and um, they found a man who was, uh, fit the description of Cemetery John, supposedly. So on September 18th, with that money, they never found anyone, but on September 18th, the bank got a note, so like a, a bill, with a license plate written on it, and I believed it fit the ransom note. In a lot of sources, uh, yeah, uh, in a lot of sources, it said that the guy at the pump thought that his behavior was weird, but um, a factual source that I found said that um, he actually was just worried that the bank wasn't going to take his money because, like I said, the president recalled that um, gold-backing money, and he wasn't sure if he was going to accept it. <laughs> and it was a $10 note. So that's expensive for the 30s. His gas was yeah, only... So it was a $10 note. That's a pretty good amount of money for the 30s. So he wrote down his license plate number in case he had to like track him down and get the money back, you know. The FBI tracked that license plate number down um, and they called the gas station to ask what their story was and that's what they said. Uh, the FBI got the license plate and they tracked it to uh, this man's house. So they staked out the house. They found the car and on September 19th at 9 a.m. the description of the man that matched Cemetery John walked out of the house and they arrested him. They caught him. Finally. Oh my god. The man's name was Bruno Richard Hotman. Hotman. And he fit the description. 
He was positively identified by the doctor and the cab driver. And not only was he identified, but he had the $20 ransom note with him, and he had $13,000 of the other ransom money in his garage. Oh, my goodness. So they caught him red-handed. One thing I didn't say, I forgot to say this. Once they found the baby's body, they did, like, a little autopsy to see, like, what killed him. Normally, autopsies are way more thorough. But after the autopsy was done, the father, Charles, Charles had the baby cremated almost right away. And almost right after he had the baby cremated, he just left for Europe. And it was, it's speculated, but they were saying that more, um, like, notes and letters were sent to him saying that they were going to kill other people in his family. So he fled to Europe almost directly afterwards. So while this is happening, while this is happening, the dad's in Europe. So, wow, that's a whole, wow, he just was like, no, peace out. I don't blame him though, honestly, I would probably leave. I, at least I would leave this, my house. I wouldn't stay in the same house, probably not even the same town because everything would remind me of what happened, you know? Um, it was also said that his car matched, um, uh, like a witness saw his car at the crime scene the night before, but like that was from an eyewitness and eyewitnesses are so incredible. But Haltman's handwriting was studied and it was similar to the note, but that stuff, especially in the 1930s, it's not like, it's not a firm foundation to stand on, you know? Um, so Houtman was in the U.S. for 11 years, and he had a criminal record in Germany. He tried to um, sneak into the U.S. three times, and he finally got in on the third time. And he married this American waitress, Anna Schaffler. Uh, Schaffler, I think. Maybe. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Um, oh, well. And he had a son who was born in 1932. The baby was stolen. Hold on, let me find it. The baby was stolen almost right after he was born in 1932. So that's pretty messed up. Oh, wow. Um, so Hotman, he was found guilty. He was sentenced to the electric chair. That's what it was. Heck yeah, he was. The ladder was found to have matched the floorboards in his attic, which... That's the attic, so I'm super spooked right now. Sorry, I just just want to bring it back to talk about me. (laughs) Um, And another weird thing that's, like, really, really weird to me was that he found in Hauptman's house the doctor's address and number sketched or scrolled into the, the, like, uh, above the door in the ceiling or something like that. Oh, my gosh. Wow, it's kind of a vendetta against him. Yeah. So he was sentenced, and he appealed a lot, obviously. The governor granted a 30-day reprieve because he thought something could come up, come out of it. They were really convinced that he couldn't have done it alone, and they were saying, like, hey, if you give us information, we will lighten your sentence if you give us who else helped you because they're like, no way you did this alone. Absolutely no way. But he, he said nothing. Like, oh, I did. He said nothing. He said absolutely nothing. He said, I didn't do this. I'm not guilty. His wife even said it. But then on April 3rd, 1936, he was electrocuted. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's it. That's done. He got what he deserved. Just kidding. There's more. 
there's theories because people don't believe that crap, bro. It keeps going. Okay. So, couple theories. Hotman had help. That's like the biggest one. Cemetery John, it was said that there were four other people in four people involved in the kidnapping. Weird. Because only one man was found and done. The reason why they probably just like stuck with Hauptman was because it was such a big case. It had been going on for so long and they just wanted to get it done and over with, you know? Yeah, they just wanted someone to blame it on and someone to, yeah and like i said before the ladder was off to the side of the window and they took the baby out so imagine how hard it would be to like shimmy out of the window to the side of the ladder that would not be easy yeah no this is another weird they said that they saw hotman talking to other people about the um kidnapping or potential kidnapping in german so it could be other people and there were two sets of sets of footprints and i don't know i didn't read all the ransom notes but if i would have you would have seen that it didn't say i or me in the ransom notes it said we so that was pretty Ooh, weird definitely a big clue to that oh my gosh why is so they have enough proof to think that multiple people and then um, another description of Cemetery John was that he had a Scandinavian accent, but Bruno Richard Hauptmann was German. So there's all those. So Hauptmann said he wasn't guilty for the longest time. Maybe he said it because he was worried, or and he said that he didn't have help. Like, he, was, he wasn't guilty at all. Maybe the reason why he wouldn't, like, give it up was because the people that he did it with were really scary people. And if he would have confessed to it, they would have gotten, like, his wife and his son. So that's that's just well, one... his wife that helped him do it, and he just didn't want to put her under the bus either. Nah, that's another one, because it did say a woman was in there, too. So um, another one was that Houtman was framed. Uh, the writing, they said, looked similar. They compared uh, the ransom notes to letters that Houtman had sent. But it looks so forced. Like I said in the beginning, it looks like it's purposefully messed up, you know? So that's one thing that's kind of weird. And somehow uh, Lindbergh identified his voice, but he said before that he wouldn't be able to identify his voice. So that's just one weird thing. There's not much behind that. It's just like one thing that people notice is like, you said you couldn't, but then you did it. So it might be just one way to, like, really put the nails in the coffin. Hauptman was so adamant about saying that he got all the ransom money from his friend. Um, His friend had died. He owed him. And he found that shoebox full of money in his garage as, like, his way of uh, repaying the debt. So it just, it makes you wonder, like, did somebody just put the money in there? And then he assumed it was his, you know? Yeah, um, one thing to go back to, uh, that was only one third of the ransom money. So there, it was split up into three ways or somebody just only wanted to give up one third to frame Hoffman. So that's, that's a couple things. And he just continuously said that he was innocent. He never said, like, he never blamed anyone else. He just said, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. 
So that was the one. Wow, the court system might have convicted an innocent man. Might have killed an innocent man. Convicted and killed an innocent man. Yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. So another thing is Elizabeth Morrow. Do you remember that last name, Morrow? I think so. That was the wife's last name. Elizabeth is the sister. You remember I talked to you about that? How the sister was supposed to be with him, but she went to go uh, take care of her sick brother. So they're thinking maybe out of jealousy, she killed the baby because she wanted to be with him and and her sister got her life. She could have just been really jealous. The parents said that Elizabeth was never allowed to be alone with the baby. So that was her sister, Anne, and Charles said, you were not allowed to be alone with the baby. And the servants actually said that they would go under oath to say this, but she killed the family dog and once threw the baby out like with the trash. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that theory basically says that um, the sister killed the baby, but the parents wanted to, like, cover it up so it wouldn't be a huge scandal, which is ridiculous to me. Like, why would you want to cover that up? So, to lead off of that, the dad covered it up. That's another theory. He believed in social Darwinism. He was a very big advocate for that. So it's basically, like, the weak die, the strong live, the better characteristics stay strong. And when they identified the baby, they said, like, his toes were overlapping and his teeth were messed up. That's how the dad identified the baby. And then the nurse identified him by saying, oh, that's a shirt that I made him. So to me, I wouldn't say, oh, that yeah, that's, that's my child that was kidnapped. I see him by his cute toes, like his little toes. He had to, like, point out flaws of the baby. So I thought that was kind of weird that he would, like... Yeah, I would have said, and he's ultimately a problem, but he just didn't mind his Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. So I, I feel like I wouldn't, like, point out defects. I would say, like, sweet things about him. He had affairs in Germany with different women, and he had seven kids. And he actually was... uh, He believed in eugenics, which is basically social Darwinism. So that could be him, like, trying to get rid of his kid because... definitely be him. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so he had those seven kids. It's just a way to, like, spread out his DNA to make that superior race with all these good um, characteristics and all that stuff of him. So that just backs up a little bit the whole theory of him getting rid of the kid because he didn't have superior DNA. And it does. It does make sense. Holy cow, like, each and every one of these theories just kind of sounds more and more accurate and, like, how it could have gone down. Exactly. And Char- Charlie, the baby, he did have a couple health issues. Um, Ricket is, like, a bone thing where your bones aren't, like, straight, and they thought he may have had that. So they gave him vitamin D doses every single day to, like, try and help that, help strengthen the bones and everything like that. Um, so it just shows that that might have, that you might be able to stand on that one. That might have a little bit more strength to it than the others do. He insisted on leading the investigation, so that might be a way for him to, like, throw things off, you know? And he asked for the child to be cremated right away. 
So I don't know if maybe he wasn't trying to, he was trying to hide something. Yeah, he really sounds like he's trying to cover something up. I mean, and then he went away to Europe right away afterwards. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and then another one is that the dad did it on accident. So I guess he was like a weird practical joker. I didn't find a lot of sources of this, but I guess one time he hid the baby in a closet and this one, he wanted to like take the baby out of the nursery and then show up at the front door and scare his wife. So maybe what happened is that when he was going down the ladder, he dropped the baby and he didn't know what to do. So maybe he dropped the baby here at the baby. He didn't want to show his wife that he messed, like he did that. So he took a hammer and hit the baby on the head, explaining the hole. And then he devised this whole plan to frame someone. And that's just how oh it happened. Oh my gosh, I'm in an actual shock. Like that could very much be what happened. Yeah. That's so reasonable, honestly. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, another theory, there's two more. The second to last one is that the baby was swapped because the father didn't really like the baby that much or something stupid like that. So he wanted to replace the baby. Um, people have come forward saying that they were the, the child um, in recent years, but no one, like DNA has never proven it. But oh, one guy, his name is Bobby Dolphin, Dauphine. Um, he claims to be the child. He has very similar features to the child, like the overlapping toes. He has curly hair. Um, when he was a baby, uh, let's call him Bobby. Bobby is his real name, so I'm just going to go by his first name. He didn't have curly hair when he was a baby, but um, out of nowhere, he, he just ended up having curly hair. Um, the mom took the baby away on a trip, and she came back with a lot of money, and Bobby had curly hair. Uh, the child looked bigger. The child was bigger, too. Um, and the dad said the baby was ill, but then he came back in good health, and the mom had a lot of money. And he wanted to specify later that he didn't believe that it was a different kid. He just made those those observations, basically. But, like, nurses said the baby was really sick, and now the baby's fine, and now the baby has curly hair, too. But the mom just said the doctors must have given him something that affected his hair growth or something like that. Oh my gosh, that's so weird. And another weird connection is that the mom knew Violet Sharp, the lady that killed herself. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's supposedly like she knew her, so who knows for sure. But that's another really like crazy theory. And then the last one, I have it on my phone. Years later, they posted an article about this on Lifetime magazine. And this guy was reading it. Uh, reading it and um, he said that, like, things just started to, like, click with him. And he remembered things his grandpa told him. And his grandpa basically said that he, his neighbor offered to take him to a water park in New Jersey. And while he was playing, he heard his neighbor, which was, his name was John Knoll, talked to these other two men. One of them was his brother, and the other one he heard referring to him as Bruno, which is the name Bruno Richard Hopman. Oh my gosh. Okay, so he basically, um, he overheard them talking about uh, a city in New Jersey where his, uh, the parents lived. Not 
um, Anne and Charles, but Anne's parents. So that like just pricked his ears. But e- Eaglewood, that's where it was. Eaglewood. Here I'm talking about Eaglewood. Um, but yeah. one really, really weird thing that doesn't corroborate that is that Bruno Richard Hauptmann never in his entire life went by Bruno. He went by Richard. Even oh, on weird. even on his second grade notebook, he put Richard Hauptmann, not Bruno. So that's just one weird thing. So what do you think happened? If you had to take honestly, a best guess. Honestly, the, the theory of the dad doing it kind of on purpose makes sense the most to me. And I feel like that could be, that could be the way that it happened. That's what I feel. Yeah, me too. Um, so I'm stuck between the three men doing it and then Richard, ha- or excuse me, Charles Lindbergh doing it on purpose because the head injury doesn't make sense to me. What a doctor said, and this is kind of funny, I watched a documentary and it was this guy talking and he had like a very serious voice, but the doctor's name was John Butts. <laughs> so the the person like uh, talking over like just the author, what's the thing called? Um, the guy, the voiceover, narrator, there we go. The narrator was like, and Dr. Butts doesn't agree with this. Every time I laughed, I was like, I'm 12. I, I This is so funny to me. I can't not laugh. Um, so but the doctor said his theory was that he was hit in the head with a hammer on the left side. And when he got hit, that created the crack on the, the right side. So he was hit on the left side with the hammer, and then the crack happened from the blow on the left side. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so bad. I think I keep saying that wrong. Sorry, I'm going to try one more time. He was hit in the head on the left side, and that created that little hole. And from, yeah. from, that, <clears throat> from that blow, that created the crack on the right side. The same amount of pressure and the amount of impact. Yeah. Exactly. But then... Or unless he hit his head on something else. Yeah. But then the other one of Houtman doing it seems really good, too, because of all the evidence behind it. But it also kind of just seemed like they were trying to pin it on Houtman and John Knoll because one person was saying the sketch looked exactly like John Knoll, but then everyone was saying it actually looked like uh, Bruna Houtman. So it's just, it's a lot of people, they just want to get this case solved. It's just crazy. But that is the case of... The Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Holy moly. Big one. Big case. Yeah. That was a big one. That was interesting. I mean, honestly, I would love to find out what happened, but... Unfortunately, we probably never will. You don't really want to know because it's worse than what it actually is. But, like, Charles doing it makes sense like a lot of sense and that's kind of what I'm leaning the closest to just because he went to Nazi Germany and he was a part of the eugenics movement and he had those seven kids and maybe it was just because he's a jerk and he wants to have those affairs or maybe it's because he wants to see the superior race rise quote-unquote superior race rise you know yeah so who knows okay you want to hear something really spooky I forgot to tell you about so, like I said, 
my boyfriend's room is right in there. This leads to the attic. He was sleeping here one night and the this door right here is in his room. This leads up to the attic. He woke up the next day and this door was open. Isn't that spooky? It never happened again. But he always messes with me. He's always like, you're so superstitious. This house is haunted, you know? And he's like, he doesn't believe any of that stuff, but he just always says that, yeah, this house is haunted. It's whatever. But he just does it to scare me. But I don't believe that. I believe it. I believe it. But, okay. That's the story. Oh, that's the tea. That's, yeah, you got the tea, guys. It's the hot tea. Well... Thanks for sticking around if you made it to the end of the story. I hope you guys didn't enjoy the story, but you enjoyed the way I talked about it, maybe? You are well, I hope you are well informed and you know to keep your windows locked. That's what I hope. (laughs) That's that's the best. Yes, stay safe, guys. Um, If you want to see pictures of the case, you can go to our Instagram at Y-D-W-K, you don't want to know. Yeah, Y-D-W-K podcast on Instagram. Um, if you have case suggestions, you can email at us at um, Y-D-W-K at gmail.com. I hope that you are well informed and that you have a great week. And this is Mag. This is you don't want to know. Bye-bye now. <laughs>